everyone. Welcome back to Death Holler. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me as always, my co-host, La Urena, and we are discussing the next movie in the chronology of I Am Legend adaptations, and this one would be The Omega Man from 1971. Tagline, and this is actually a decent one, The Last Man Alive is Not Alone. Now, that's a motherfucking tagline right there. <laughs> that is a tagline if a tagline was it. ever taglining. That's how you do it. Yeah. Uh, directed by Boris Segal, who is a, who, and you can tell when you watch the movie, Boris was a, was notoriously known as a television movie director. Okay. So if, if this looks like a television movie, it's because the guy that directed it was, it, that's what he did. Gonna so. be real honest with you. It just looked like an old movie to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's got that vibe to it that yeah. it could have been on like CBS back in the day or something. I mean, it, it's, it's got a little bit of it. Uh, written by John William Corrington and Joyce Hooper Corrington, who did the screenplay based upon Richard Matheson's novel. Okay. Uh, music by Ron Granier. Again, I can't find a budget in box office for this one, and I don't know why, because I would think of any of them that this one would be yeah. easy to find. And I, I, I backtracked you. I like I went and looked on Google. I was like, okay, it's somewhere. He's just not looking. It, it's not. There's no fucking numbers. Not even a guesstimate. And and it makes it makes me angry because I would like to see how bad these things bombed or didn't, you yeah. know, depending upon what happened. But the only one I officially have is I'm Legend when we get to it. Well, and, yeah, uh, I would hope that they would have that. I will say this. Let me see. So the Last Man on Earth uh, has eighty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Hold on, let's go to the audience versus. Um, Oh, okay. It has a lower audience score, so eighty-one percent on the tomato meter, and sixty-nine percent audience score. I am shockingly more with the tomato meter on that. Um, let me see. It's got a six point seven out of ten on IMDb. I mean, I think that's fair. I think that kind of goes with the audience score. Uh, usually, when it shows Google users, it'll say you know X percentage of Google users like this. Um, it does not give it on this one. Now for Omega Man. Um, 1971, it's got a, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 65% on the tomato meter and a 53% audience score, and I'm sure we'll get into what we think. It's got a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, and no percentage of Google users liking it or not. Now, that's just something random that pops up for me, I swear. So... <laughs> Uh, principal players, we have Charlton Heston playing Robert Neville, uh, so it's book-appropriate name this time. It actually okay. is the character's name in the book. Who's just an American badass? I mean, if Kid Rock sung that song about anybody, it was Charlton Heston in this movie. <laughs> We're going. This, this show's over. This, good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Uh, Charlton Heston is obviously known for the Planet of the Apes movies, uh, the originals. Uh, Never heard of them. Green. Uh, <laughs> it's people. They're spoiler alert. Uh, ben Hur, uh, the the Ten Commandments. He played Moses in that, folks. Which is, I mean, I don't know how people felt about that, but 
He also played a Mexican in Touch of Evil, so oh! I don't know how people thought about that either. <laughs> Would they do just slap a mustache on him and give him a corny-ass accent? He had a mustache, and he was as bronzed as you can be in a black-and-white movie. Like, his skin is just like, I mean, I don't think, I think he was just very tan, but it comes across as like, you know, he might have been like, you know, be, some makeup on or be something. Be honest, Reverend, you're looking at me right now. You're looking, you're in the presence of a Latina. Does he look more Mexican than me? Yes. Uh, yes, I said that's not hard. I know I sound white. I can't help it. My parents didn't teach me Spanish. And I speak like a Californian. That's not my fault. That's just where I live. I'm not gonna blame Reverend for sounding like he's from fucking the South. Okay. <laughs> just not gonna do it. But I'm also very, 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 very pale skinned. So <laughs> Uh, I don't know if there's, I'm trying to see if there's any good images online. Oh, wait, you might be able to Google. Look at, if yeah, I put yeah, my yeah, hood on. Google, Google touch of evil, Charlton Heston, and then take a look and, and see what you think of him. It. It's, it's, if I put my hood I, on, do I look like one of the people in this movie? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Yeah. Okay, your, hold your on. Your eyes, your eyes are not quite uh, wide enough. Oh, to, no, uh, they're not. They're, they're black as night. Uh, what is it called? Touch of evil? Touch of Evil, Charlton Heston, and go to the Google Images, and, and you'll see what he looks like in it. Oh, there it is right there. Okay, hold on. Uh, let's just go to the images real quick and see what... What the fuck? <laughs> he does! <laughs> okay, he's invited to the carnet. And even better is the fact that they paired him up with a white woman who is like uber white on the black and white movie so that it stands out even more. I mean, like, you know, that he's like this dark, you know, uh, tall, dark, handsome and and very, um, especially in the 50s, very no taboo. You don't know. You don't put Mexicans with white girls, but technically they didn't because he was a white man. Uh, I will say as a Latina, he is invited to the asada. He's invited to the carne asada. He's invited to the carnitas. He passes. Um, and he was in a movie called The Awakening, like back in the eighties, which is a, uh, I think, a mummy movie of some kind. I'm not seeing it. I need okay. to watch it at some point. Uh, Rosalind Cash plays Lisa, who's that fine vagina in this movie, <laughs> uh, and she is naked a lot in this movie. Yeah, she's a uh, she's a little bit of jungle fever for Charlton Heston. In this one, yeah, I don't he... know if that's an appropriate term anymore, but that's <clears throat> what they used to call it. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's not, but I mean, like, I I don't know. I, I like, <laughs> do they get mad? There's a whole ass movie called Jungle Fever. I know. Um, there's a line in this movie we'll get to uh, in the uh, quotes because I had to put it in there. But when he talks about being 160 proof old Anglo-Saxon, I, I I about lost it. I was like, you can't get away with that anymore. No, There's no you just can't fucking do that. <laughs> oh my god, I I just Google, I fucking Google, I just Googled jungle fever and it gave me the actual term, which is any of several tropical diseases, but especially malaria. It's also a slang slash ethnic slur, so they've changed it. Attraction of a person of non-African descent towards people of African descent. Which is funny because when I think jungle, I don't think of African Americans. I think of certain Asians. Well, our... Maybe that's called yellow fever. Like... 
<laughs> I'm gonna get us in trouble. I'm gonna get us canceled. We're, 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 ca- we're canceled. canceled. I probably got us canceled for saying jungle fever, but that's literally literally yeah. what they called it back in the time when this was filmed. I mean, I'm not saying anything that wasn't there. I mean, I think it was a dumb term, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, the adventures of she was in the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension, which is like that title just goes on for days. Uh, decent movie though. It's actually very good sci-fi movie for like a cult type movie. And then tales from the hood, which is tales from the hood is a fucking good anthology movie. Have you saw that one? You probably haven't. I have seen bits and pieces of it. My husband loves that film. It's clear that both of you have jungle fever. (laughs) Uh, And I don't hate what I've seen. I just not been inclined to watch it. I am sure there's going to be a season that you're like, this is what we're reviewing. And it's like, okay, well, this is what we're We're reviewing. We will be doing an anthology season. And that is one of them. I want to... I think it's from part two, but uh, I believe his and I believe his name's David Keith is in Tales from the Hood two. He plays, or maybe it's the end of part one. But whenever there's a line that keeps popping up on TikTok, and it's my favorite line ever. It's where it's the final reveal of the movie, and I mean that's spoiler slightly. But he turns around and he like he you know and he tells these people because uh, you know it's it's just like the, all the old uh, Tales from the Crypt movies where you know they find out they're all dead after they hear the stories of you know like then which were how they died honestly throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And he turns around to him and he's like, "Welcome to hell, motherfucker!" And then he just starts like laughing. It's like my yeah. favorite thing. Okay, ever, I've seen that. It. That's not a spoiler alert. I've seen I've seen that. <laughs> oh my god, you and Noah, I swear. Uh, Anthony Zerby plays Matthias, who is the ghoul cult leader and Luddite. And he was also for, I don't know why people don't catch this. They act like, I mean, whenever I was going through the trivia, people were like pointed out. It's like, did you realize he was also the, uh, news anchor who was talking about the end of the world? I was like, yeah. How could you not notice that was the same dude? But uh, okay. I well, I didn't. Meant- so <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> well, he was for anybody who doesn't pay attention <laughs> to the movie. Oh my God. <laughs> God, he's in a lot of uh, movies. Cool Hand Luke, License to Kill, The Matrix Reloaded, The Dead Zone. He, yeah, he was okay. in quite a bit. Interesting. Wait, but Lincoln, where did you get the term or the word Luddite from? Uh, it's an old term. Like they, they were a group of people. Like during the uh, the very start of the in in England specifically, I believe. Uh, uh whenever uh, it might have been, I don't know if it was prior to, uh. Uh, or the uh, whenever the the industrialization happened, or if it was, but there was at some point where they were like they went around destroying like mechanical things because they believed that people should go back to the old ways of okay. like agriculture and all that. So yeah. anybody who's against machinery, they call them a luddite. Just going because that's the name of the people who specifically tried to rise up and destroy the machines back in the day. They might have been right. I don't know. You know. We're, we're, we're getting AI now. Maybe we went too far. Maybe they maybe they had the best decision. I, who can say? Okay, but um, didn't they make, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, it's those medieval rock throwing. Is it a, is it a tri, tri, tribu, tribution? Trebuchet. Okay, trebuchet. trebuchet. Thank you. Um, didn't, is that technically machinery? It is, and, and it's like. Okay, so you're not cool with with guns, but you're fine with trebuchets, which are on the way to guns. Yeah. It's like, come on, Matthias. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? It's a rock launcher. <laughs> may not be a rocket launcher, but we're literally just a syllable, you know? 
yeah, there there's some like there his devotion to like non you know machinery uh is it's like Mennonites. It's like okay, so you're not Amish and you don't believe, but you still don't believe in all the stuff for like, you know, current modern times, but you're cool with cars. Like what's your cutoff here, pal? Like, you know, what, what it's a typical (laughs) cult for you. They were definitely a cult. They even had robes. They did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lincoln Kilpatrick plays Zachary. Who's the albino cult second in command in the movie. (laughs) Uh, he's still got some racial hatred going on. Matthias is trying to get rid of. Uh, Soylent Green, uh, he was in that with Charlton Heston, Chosen Survivors, and the movie Piranha from back in the 70s. Okay. Uh, that's uh, definitely a When anim- Bad Animals Go Bad movie that we're going to be covering. Is it the uh, same as Piranha from, like, the 2000s? They they were, like, remakes of that okay. old 70s movie. That makes sense. Uh, Paul Coslow plays Dutch, the former medical student and the new human uh, leader. He's kind of like the hippie cult leader of the new the younger kids. Uh, he was in Robot Jocks, Chained Heat 2. Chained Heat movies are so ridiculous. They're, they're those, uh, <laughs> those movies where, like, women get locked in prison, and it's like, you know, and you're following them, and, and they're supposed to be, like, these hardcore criminals, so you're supposed to not, like, really be that upset over what's happening, but if there's a lot of, like, pseudo-lesbianism and, like, you know, them getting beat and all that stuff, and I'm just like... It, there's guys that must have like specifically wanted that as their fetish or something for those movies to exist. Yeah. Cause they're a thing. Uh, she was in the village of the damned for, or he was in village of the damned from 1976. I would assume he played, um, since it was like shortly after this, like one of the town like yeah. elders who are, you know, like the adults who was killed by the kids in that movie. Uh, house of Zodiac extra Two: the second encounter, which those movies were fucking insane. Okay. Uh, Eric, Lonaville plays Richie, Lisa's, Lisa's little bro, who is dead meat and deep six because he uh, he was a little too naive, a little too trusting of Matthias and, and the others. Yeah. Uh, that dude became a TV director. Like, yeah. if you go and you look, he has very little, like, acting to his name, but, like, he is a ton of directing credentials. Good uh, for him. So good on him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, synopsis Robert Neville is the last living man in the world I, we've heard this before oh, yeah. uh, after, a, after a skirmish between the Chinese and Russians escalated into full blown war biological weapons were released that killed most of the world's population instantly the only known vaccine was obtained too late to help anyone and only Neville benefited now the slowly dying ghouls uh, the lingering after effects of the contagion are, the, are trying to reform society and Neville represents everything wrong about the old world Matthias is sermonizing Neville is a bit patronizing, and Lisa is getting down with some 160-proof old Anglo-Saxon. Shut the fuck (laughs) up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Other taglines, pray for the last man alive because he's not alone. Um, I I mean, like, I'm not upset. The world is dead, one survivor, then the others, crawling in darkness, the strangest sect of all, hunting the last man on Earth. And there it is. That one's bad all the way around. Yeah. It's broken up. It's yeah. like, wh- what What the fuck? And you wrote like... It's contradicting. Sentence. Yeah. Okay. Uh, quotes. Uh, first lines in the movie. Uh, as Neville uh, wrecks his car, there's never a cop around when you need one. That That's dumb. That's dumb. I hate that so much right now. 
Uh, little girl, are you God? And then Lisa, let's find out if he's even a doctor before we go promoting him, okay? Pretty sure he had Lisa screaming for God later on in the film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> later uh, on in Mathias. that day. Matthias, one creature caught, caught in a place he cannot stir from in the dark alone. Outnumbered hundreds to one, nothing to live for but his memories, nothing to live with but his gadgets, his cars, his guns, gimmicks, and yet the whole family can't bring him down from that. And then Zachary was like, honky paradise, brother. And Matthias is like, forget the old ways, brother, all the old hatred. <laughs> um, I'll put that in there because they – they do try to make like a little bit out of the whole, like, you know, uh, you know, now that people are like either ghouls or, you know, the last surviving humans, like it's kind of dumb to be, you know, still worried about racism, even though That's it's, true. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a thing, but. They're technically that, being uh, racist. They're all white as hell, hating this what, man that, of color. That's what I was going to bring up. Zachary is whiter than Charlton Heston. This yes. Movie, so. They're all white. <laughs> even the black people are white. They did whiteface in this film, and nobody's talking about that. They did do whiteface. Um, after the family has taken Neville into the little room for questioning, Neville's like, tell me something, would you? Are you fellas really from the Internal Revenue Service? <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> uh, hearing the family loudly holding a book-burning uh, Revel outside, Neville's like, at it again, I see. What will it be tonight? Museum of Science? Some library? Poor miserable bastards. Uh Matthias, definition of a scientist, a man who understood nothing until there was nothing left to understand. And then Neville responding back, well, so th there is a little fight in the forest after all, a little light in the forest after all. Um, I, I like I like the fact that Neville just doesn't give two shits about Matthias. Matthias is like putting Neville up on like this pedestal, which he kind of is in the movie. Yeah. He's up above all of them. But like, you know, Neville's just like, you're fucking scum. Like there's, you were just like, he basically, I mean, if you want to like go by common terms or like, you know, modern times, it's almost like he's like, he sees Neville as like, or I mean, Matthias is like a guy from CNN, like, uh, I can't, I uh, like, I can't remember the names of like the one that like recently got disgraced from CNN, oh, but God, like, there's so many, uh, is there one like Stalter or something like that? Like his last name anyways, like, he's just like, you're scum. It's like, you know, you're preaching like the stupid, you know, things or whatever to get like the, the rabble riled up whenever we're just out here, just trying to live our lives, whatever. Um, <clears throat> Dutch, I was a med school senior, uh, 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 Brian Stelter is what I'm thinking of. Uh, Dutch, I was a med school senior when they scratched the world. As a matter of fact, I was planning on uh, applying to BioWare Labs for my postdoc, but the next term never came. And Neville's like, now I'm sorry you didn't make it. And Lisa's like, sorry the world didn't make it, even though she doesn't yeah. give two shits later on. Whenever he's talking about saving the world, she's like, well, I want you to save Richie. So it's like she's kind of playing both sides. Yeah. Like she's trying to make him feel bad because he's like doesn't care. Um the the famous line that I was referencing Lisa's drawing blood from Neville for a vaccine when will, will one bottle be enough Neville's like it's genuine 160 proof old Anglo-Saxon baby <laughs> I don't know how you get bio lines like that even back in the 70s to be honest but they did it they they did it yeah they did it I mean there's it's the end of the world. Who is going to revolt other than the, the white people? And when I say the white people, I mean the fucking vampires or whatever the, <laughs> the hell goals, they are. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, Matthias, we waited for you, Neville, so you could see this. The end, the end of all you've done. You see, none of it was real. It was illusion. Your art, your science, it was all a nightmare. And now it's done. Finished, my brethren. Our task is nearly complete. He was the last of those who brought the punishment to us. We have cleansed and purged his world. Now we must build. And Neville uh, responding back, build coffins. That's all you'll need. <laughs> I mean, I like how he, just, he gives two shits about these, he doesn't. these ghouls. You know what's funny, though, is that they sat down and legit had a, like, a conversation. It was a coherent conversation. I mean, they're able to talk to each other, and yet they can't come to any sort of agreement of, hey, leave me the fuck alone, and I'll leave you alone. It's as simple as that. I am gonna die and you guys can rebuild whatever the fuck you want i won't stop you like i know he just kind of shoots at whatever i know they kind of established that he's kind of a monster could these monsters not just move to a different town um there might be something in that that i don't even know if they intended in their original script although they might have is that not exactly what brought the world to where it's at in this movie to begin with is the fact that, like, I mean, the Chinese and Russians, who you would think would be getting along because they're both communists, uh, they they apparently couldn't get along either and, and just destroyed the world. Now, in a small version of it, same thing's happening with uh, Neville and the, and the ghouls. It's yeah. like, if you, if you just fuck off, you know, we could... I mean, we got the whole world to live in. I, I can stay here in my little palace. Yeah. You can go down the street a little bit and enjoy whatever the fuck you're going to do, and we'll be kosher, you know? Yeah. I mean, th- <laughs> if they leave, there's nothing for Neville to find. <laughs> exactly. There's nothing for him to find. They're gone. Like, l- what happened to the ghouls? Oh, well, they, they moved to fucking, I don't know, the east side. <laughs> And, and that's the other thing. Why are they staying in the city, which is a huge reminder of, like, the, the mechanical past yeah. that they hate? Go out in the country, like, live in uh, yeah. amongst the trees and shit. Like, what are you doing? Stupid head. You can have your little fucking cult affairs out there. I don't know. I just thought the conversation that they had was so sophisticated. It was like two gentlemen in a room arguing back and forth. Uh, a lot of one-liners was happening. But, like, it's like th- there's definitely reason but neither one of them want to be reasonable if you if you catch my draft. And and I think and again, I think you're hitting on something that's that's kind of interesting about this, even if they didn't intend it. It's almost like a microcosm of like the world in general. Yeah. It's like we could get along if we just talk this over, but no, we're let's just uh let's shoot the fuck out of each other and you know, and and go that route with it instead of actually, you know, agreeing to disagree or whatever we want to do with this. Well, look at uh, it this way. I have a I have a really good analogy for how this is working. They were looking the thing about um the last man on earth is they said that Vincent Price wasn't uh good at bringing forth the all-American male. And I guess we could definitely say Charles Charles Charleston Char- Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston did he's got that typical all-american man kind of like but he represented america in more ways than just being the typical american male he represented america fucking in other people's affairs and the other people having their affairs didn't don't take kindly to that and now they're just like fine we're gonna fucking fuck with you now yeah, he goes down the streets. I mean, you can't get more American than this, mm-hmm. really. I mean, and it's commentary. He goes down the street in a Ford Mustang yeah. at, at just bla- blazing down the road. Like, I mean, not giving two shits with a submachine gun, just taking pot shots at these fuckers as like he and, and they're and clear, not even and sure it, that it is them because we find out that it's 
regular people he's shooting at. And 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 it could be. And I mean, you, you want to take this a little bit step further on if you want to take this analogy. Although I still don't think they meant this in this movie. Uh, we've got somebody with sophisticated United States, uh, you know, guns and and you know military weaponry against people with fucking rocks. Now, does that sound like anything that's happened in the last twenty years? Uh, mm-hmm. Middle East, maybe. No, don't know what you're talking about. Look, at the point is, America stay out of people's fucking affairs, and they won't. I mean, I bet you if he stopped fucking with them, they'd pro. They might stop fucking with him. I don't know. It depends on what kind of. Uh, he is only one man. I could see them wanting to be like, let's just fucking take him out. Like, I don't want him to be a threat at all. Like, I can't necessarily blame them, and he is the minority. And. I mean, and I can't blame uh, Zachary or whatever for always telling Matthias it's like it, one gun. That's all you need. Just one shot yeah, and he's, he's out. <laughs> like, we can end this. Um, Yeah, it's it's pretty funny, actually. I I mean, it's an interesting commentary. It really is whenever you're watching it and you, you think on these levels. Although it's, it's, a B, it's a B-level movie in a lot of senses, so people don't give it that, like, scrutiny but there is something there i mean because he is so blatantly american in this movie oh yeah i mean get some marionettes okay this is just like a part two of team america world police it is i mean he's up and that scope that he has like that big infrared scope that he's got on his big like oh that's how he's taking it's i mean and he's so like out there and like confident in himself, just like they always claim Americans are when we go overseas. Like you can't get more American than he is in this movie. Like you, you can't. Um, uh, Neville uh, hallucinates about a dozen uh, payphones ringing simultaneously oh, yeah. around him. There is no phone ringing. Damn it! Uh, the bell stopped and he gets a grip on himself. There is no phone. Uh, that that's the one sign in this movie that that better than. Well, I, I think Will Smith does it slightly better with the mannequins, but that's like the sign in this movie where he's losing his, his sanity a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Neville talking to a moldy corpse in a car dealership. How much for a trade-in on my Ford? Oh, really? Thanks a lot, you cheating bastard. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love that where he, he, he's talking to a dead body, for yeah. God's sake. You know, I mean, that's basically what like... salespeople are. I mean, they're just a body there, you know? <laughs> they're just there to get beat up and yelled at and... Hopefully make and, a decent it, commission to bring some food to the table. It, that that scene is kind of similar, though, to a scene in The Last Man on Earth because whenever they trash uh, Robert Morgan's car, he does trade up to a spoiler yeah. version. So, I mean, there's a little bit of a link there in that sense. Yeah. Uh, visually, uh, the ghouls in this, I, I like the look of them. I, I do. Like that albino, like they, they got the grayed out eyes and the, like, the white whitish looking skin. I mean, it, it's... It's simple, but it like I mean, but it works for what they're trying to get across. I mean, they even have don't they have like like patches of like oh, yeah. rawness to their skin too? Yeah, they have chunks um, of skin like or chunks. Yeah, chunks of skin missing basically. And the Simpsons did a version of this actually oh, called so the the Homega Man. I think <laughs> is what it is. Uh, <laughs> like it's it's Homer and like he. Um, and he goes drinking, at, at, I think, at the night that the bombs fall and, like, Moe's Bar or something. It's filled with asbestos or something that protects him. And, like, when he comes home, like, the rest of the world is those ghouls because, you know, they've all been exposed and, like, Moe's one of them and they're trying to kill him. And, like, it's it's just him, like, with a shotgun, like, taking them down left and right just like Charlton Heston was in this movie. It's pretty good, actually. Oh, my God. Um, 
The Simpsons. Uh, it's They're in, so good. It's it's in the Treehouse of Horror. I can't remember which version, but when you go watch it next time, look out for that that episode because it's actually a pretty good homage to this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, Sideshow Mail, I think, is one of them. They're like that one of the you know albino ghouls, and he's you know all dramatic like he always is, kind of like Matthias is in this movie. Uh, talking about how Homer is, you know, has to be put down because he represents everything bad about society and all that stuff. It's pretty good. Um, uh, visually, though, other than that, like they, I mean, they don't really do a whole lot otherwise in this mm-hmm. movie. I mean, like the scenes of people dying are pretty. I mean, they almost border on cheesy at times because they're just like, <gasps> and then oh just, yeah, the, you know, and then they just fall the, over, the, which is funny because that's how what's his name dies. Uh, in in a helicopter, they crash. So not only does he technically, because they they die with they said dying within minutes. No, they die within seconds on screen. But in him, seconds, yeah. yeah. So they go down. The helicopter crash didn't kill him, but he. I'm sure it took him a while to come back to reality, if you will. But yeah, I don't know if he was a vampire at that point, or if he was like, oh, I if I take this vaccine, I won't become a vampire. That's they don't explain that, and that's the only and and I like your headcan on that better than what they show in the movie because when I watched it, I was like, okay, so he was dying in that helicopter yeah. just like the pilot was, and because he had the same you know like you know gas yeah. prayer whatever they were doing, they crash. He's he's alive, so I mean he's covered in blood, but he's alive, so I mean I guess he was one of the on his way to becoming one of the ghouls at that point. But then he grabs the experimental vaccine and injects himself. And I guess that keeps him from going into full on ghoul mode at that that point. So I I don't know. That wasn't very well explained, but I did think immediately when I saw them getting in that helicopter, I was like, you're going to get in a helicopter when you have no idea whether your pilot is going to just like start (laughs) choking. And then his pilot starts choking. And I'm like, well, yeah. Like, even I saw that coming, and I have never seen this movie. I will say this. Those scenes that they filmed of uh, of Los Angeles, or where, I think the L.A. is where they filmed this in, mm-hmm. uh, of the streets, they it gives that a post-apocalyptic vibe heavy at the beginning of this movie. Like, I mean, the abandoned streets, like the, the cars all, like, you know, yeah. uh, crashed around the place. The That one little scene where he goes in the dealership to get a new car and, like, the dead body in the corner – they that does a pretty good job of selling the, the you know the where the setting or at least of the movie even if later on they they don't really show much of it anymore because outside of whenever he goes inside the uh, the department store with all the mannequins yeah. and uh, sees uh, and then sees that one ghoul like fall over dead which goes to what you were saying about how they're dying anyways yeah and um, outside of that the rest of the movie just is between it, it's a lot of scenes with him uh at his place or it's matthias you know just outside tearing shit up so yeah it, it, that that establishing shot at the beginning is the only thing that really sells the apocalyptic feel of it in this i feel i feel like well because people were dying so quickly it's not like people were rushing to the stores to get food or anything like that so i think that it kind of sells the whole oh, hold on one second oh my child was walking in okay i guess i don't need me um <clears throat> Uh, like when you're, they're walking through the pharmacy and they're, and obviously he's in the department store, nothing's like really knocked over or broken down, but it does, I think that they did a really good job of making it look empty still, you know, even though there was still clothing available and stuff like that, it still felt 
I don't know, it just still felt like a wasteland in its way. And a little insider secret from a Californian, Los Angeles still looks like that. Like, they're... I, they didn't have to do anything to make it. All they had to do was clear the people. Because when you're coming into the city off of I-5, you drive through this, like, this, this big, it's called the Grapevine, and it's like a bunch of, you know, valleys, or a big valley you're driving through with hills, rolling hills and everything. So you're driving through a bunch of, essentially, farmland, and then you start coming into the city, and it just... Aside from cars, it looks desolate. So, <laughs> probably more so now since uh, everybody got the fuck out of there after uh, the 2020 nonsense happened. But you know, I mean, and 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 you got the homeless, so you got zombies. You got Matthias yeah. amongst the you know out oh, there on the streets. And even better, well, the last time we were out there, it was it was not. I wouldn't say the last time, but like we were there um, right after COVID. They were letting people go to Disneyland, I think, and it was still with the mask. Everyone had to wear a mask everywhere. And if you weren't one, and you one in your car, oh, oh no, buddy, don't you dare. But <clears throat> When we were out there just towards the exiting of COVID, barely the exiting, so people were still on edge, uh, there was, we had heard about homeless taking over a park, and they basically created a a living situation of sorts, but you had to be approved to get into it. So it's almost like you had to be a higher level of homeless person. I don't know if they're like no drugs or whatnot. I don't know if that was one of the requirements, but they basically had their own HOA, if you will, homeless association. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> we can't let those homeless in because they don't crap on the right doorsteps. Uh, I, I guess so. I don't know what it is. Like they're, it's like they're trying to be, and like, like look at, do you blame them at this point as, as hard as it is in California, but they're basically segregating themselves from the poorer of the poor they're, 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 it's like a middle class of poor people. Like, n- not even a poor people, a middle class of homeless people. There we go. It, the homeless have their own classes now. And oh, it that's just, wonderful. I it's, hate to not, say it, but it just feels like it's just a natural human thing to have classes, yeah, yeah, classification. You, you, have, yeah, you, can't, you would think that the destitute would be like in this movie with a cult. They'd all, like, get together and they just all be one. But, like, no, they even have to have classes within a, in the, the lowest class. Or yeah. Whatever. yeah. I'm going to find an article on it because we were listening to it on, you know, not the news so much, but, like, I guess if you're going to – wherever you're going to get real information, not the mainstream media. And we're, like – me and my husband were just looking at each other like – this is not real. Like this can't be a thing. <laughs> and like, do do people do like normal kids to get to go play at that park now too, or is that just for the homeless? Uh, would normal people want to go to that park? That's the question. It's I'm sure it's in a poor neighborhood, so I'm pretty sure kids did anyways. You know, there's still going to be the kids that want to play basketball and stuff like that. You know, uh, yeah. I don't know. That's. I can only imagine the poor in that neighborhood are like, at least we're not those guys, you yeah. know, it's like. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's unbelievable. Anyways, uh, where were um, we? Well, he's going to the visuals. Is there anything else you just want to say about the visuals? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's got a dated look, but I mean, it's, uh, it, I, it, there's a little, there's something charming about it. it it's like, you know, it, it's got that vibe like that it happened in another era entirely, which it did. Yeah. But, um, um Visually, I mean, it, it was kind of cool to see things in color, uh, so I'll give it that. Um, 
there wasn't anything outstanding. I do think the ghouls looked pretty good, you know, in terms of uh, they did a good job, especially with you can go so wrong with white makeup, especially putting white makeup on a actual person of color. Yeah. So and then the contacts, which I heard back in the day were extremely painful. This was before they came up with I'm sure those were glass. Yeah, they weren't soft lenses Mm-mm. at all. They were like hard glass lenses yeah. in most cases. I heard they were extremely uncomfortable, so kudos to the actors for putting up with that. Um, but overall, they did pretty decent, you know. Um, cheesy decent, but cheesy, de- but decent, I should say. Uh, the the strangest one was seeing Lisa when she made her oh, quick, yeah. ultra quick conversion over to be one of them. Uh, her afro, I mean, which I know uh, Zachary kind of had that too, but like hers was even more defined. Like it just looked so weird whenever it turned stark white. Yeah, like, well, just... the afro, I hate to say, it looks like they just put baby powder in their afro to turn it white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they pretty much did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was going to say this, getting into the story a little bit. There are people who, who have made links in this movie. Not only, I mean, now, first of all, I don't know if you knew this. This is a little bit of trivia. This is the first movie to feature an interracial kiss. I don't know if oh, you're aware of that. shit. I didn't know that, but I was wondering. Uh, now, it had been done on television prior to this in Star Trek between, you know, uh, you know, Uhura and, you know, uh, Captain Kirk. Yeah. But... Uh, this was the first movie to actually have a, an interracial kiss. Yeah. Uh, which was interesting for its time. Uh, there was a lot of people that said that the Matthias cult in this movie was kind of a uh, cultural response to uh, the uh, Manson's uh, family back in the day. Because, I mean, they, they even say the family, which is, you know, reference, you know, is very close to the Manson family part of it. So, um it has a little bit of that baked into it, which I, I guess was like a cultural fear back in back around this time. You know, uh, after uh, was her name Shannon Tate or whatever was killed Sharon uh, Tate, by the Manson, yeah. Sharon Tate, yeah, by the Manson family. Like people were like, okay, or how prevalent are these cults? Like, can Charles Manson like you know can there be others out there like him? You know, uh, so yeah. Matthias is, so Matthias was kind of a stand-in for Charles Manson. In okay. Way. I mean, that makes sense. I think that's, and you know, that's a really good way to draw fear from people of these times. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it from their, their point of view, I mean, it was way more current than it is now. I mean, we look at Charles Manson and he's kind of like laughable with, I mean, yeah. not what he did. No, but like, yeah. But when you see later on, whenever, like from when we grew up, like when all the stuff that came out of prison from him, he just sounded like a, like you'd watch him and he's like, who the fuck would ever believe this guy? He sounded like a crazy, like homeless person on the side of the street in Los Angeles. Well, uh, this is back <laughs> when drugs were really making people just think that they were experiencing well, something. I feel like now, maybe he was loading them with drugs too. Well, it was the drug thing, but also he was supposed to be just like Matthias in this movie, very eloquent. Like he could, oh, okay. you know, like he was a very good speaker. Like he was very smart, intelligent back in the day. I don't know what happened to him whenever he's in prison. Cause he sounded like uh, just a nut job. Or did but people they say think back- that he was speaking coherently <laughs> and that he was intelligent? Because if anything, maybe. Okay. Cause when you're on drugs and I've not been on drugs, so don't get mad at me if you've been a person that's tried drugs before. I'm not here to fucking judge you if you're not doing that anymore. But maybe you have a real experience. But from the outside looking in, I'm just wondering, is it possible that, you know, he was saying things that were triggering 
amazing visions because people say they see the neatest shit. Some people also say they see some horrific shit when they're on drugs. And he's just feeding their acid dreams, and they're just so in awe by this person. You know? I'm not going to discount that because, I mean, I think even back in the day he was talking about Aquarius and, like, yeah. all this other stupid shit. And, like, I'm sure if you were on drugs, you were like, man, I feel, like, closer to God yeah. right now with all the, you know, with this going on. It's so. a whole euphoric thing. I hear about it all the time. I not have not been interested in trying any heavy drugs. The most I've tried is a weed gummy. Ooh, we got a badass over here, you know? And I can't even handle those at one time. I, if I'm taking it, I better be going to sleep within 10 minutes because I can't. Hey, those are, according to Totally Killer, those are a lot stronger than the weed back in the 70s now. That is so, true. I mean, that I, I have heard or that. Or in the 80s, at least. Um, the other thing they had going on in this movie that I find really interesting is the way they set up the apocalypse is like a, a biological warfare oh, yeah. between China and Russia. Now, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. We're back in the situation where it's not those two fighting each other. It's actually those two joining up. That's the biggest fear, which has always been America's fear that yeah. the communists would join together. And even back in, especially in the seventies, with uh, you know, um, not even Vietnam. I mean, like uh, this was Vietnam era, so they were worried about that too. But like, um, I'm trying to think of the other. I don't know. I'm blanking on it. There's another uh, Asian country that they had just. Uh, that they had just got through fighting or whatever wars in for like years before this in the fifties. And so like, they were always worried about Korea, uh, like Korea. Yeah. Yeah. So the Korean war, like they, after, so this is still playing on all that stuff. Like, and I don't know if you remember as a kid in the eighties, but like that fear heightened to like the nth degree in the eighties. Like they were, if that moment, a lot of, a lot of, Younger folks don't realize this, so let me step back in the Wayback Machine and preach from, you know, my soapbox here as an old man. But, like, whenever uh, Reagan made that, you know, decree for them to tear down the wall, like, I mean, that doesn't seem like much these days. That was a huge moment. Oh, yeah, like, definitely. I mean, are, you are you talking about Berlin? I, yeah, the Berlin Wall yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, it was... Because, I mean, they were still telling us, not that I ever believed that this was ever doing anything even as a kid, but they were still instructing us to get on a school desk in the event that a nuke would be dropped by the, the Russians, oh. basically, as children. <laughs> you know, that reminds me of, that reminds me of the, I don't know why I instantly thought of the song Crawl Out Through the Fallout. Have you heard it? Yes, yes. Why does that song exist? That should be a song that was made for the video game Fallout, but it wasn't. It was no. made in the fifties. Right after they uh, Oppenheimer, you know, invented the nuke, like uh, very much like nuclear fears came into effect. And this movie kind of this movie goes the other route and doesn't make it a nuclear <clears throat> apocalypse, but it does make it like you know the battle with the communists and all that. So. I mean, you put yourself back in the day, that was another fear they were, you know, kind of playing on in this movie quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, which and, is, and I, that's Charlton a good fear to play on. It, I'm sorry, but it is. Right now, just us alone, sitting, recording right now, if we knew that China and Russia had come together and were coming after us, we'd be like, okay, so do we just fucking take our shoes off and let the Chinese in? Because, I mean... <laughs> Our president is, not to get political on this podcast, but our president is literally just leaving our military equipment in other countries for them to take. 
Yeah, the like, one the one benefit that we have, and we don't have, and they're not like Matthias in these other countries. They're not like, uh, well, brother, we better not take this because that makes us like the oppressors. No, they're like, no, let's take this and fucking rock the world with it, and they are. I mean, yeah, they're doing it. Uh, we so. we would be horrified, and we sh- probably should be more scared because, but I think we just at this point we're just so fucking numbed. <laughs> Like I said, we are a generation that was raised and literally to be taught to get under a desk because of nukes dropping. So it's not going to work. I uh, well, I know like the younger kids, I don't know what they're thinking, but I'm saying like for us, yeah. like if we're numb, it's because of that. It's like, okay, we've been taught that we're going to die because of some kind of thing for, you know, from the moment we were born. Like, I guess we're waiting on it to happen at this point. Let I don't me, know. It's, I, I'm sorry, but I, I'm stuck on this now. Crawl out through the fallout, hiding under a desk. Okay, he literally says, when your white count's getting higher, hurry, don't delay. I'll hold you close and kiss those radiation burns away. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? What else does he say? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, If you cannot find the way, just listen for my song. I'll love you all your life, although that may not be too long. (laughs) You have two responses whenever you're thinking about the ultimate destruction of the planet. You can either curl up in a ball yeah. and cry about it, or you can make dark humor. Yeah, dark that's humor. What he chose to do. What it's gonna be? It's gonna be dark humor for me. Um, yeah. I wonder if my insulin will still be active if it gets attacked by radiation. You know? I wonder now if my pancreas will start working. Spoiling. Yeah. Does, will my pancreas just start working? Tell me it's gonna just start working. <laughs> I'd like to not have to worry about giving myself injections. You know? Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else story-wise in this movie. Uh, there, oh, there's there's Christ elements in this movie. That Wait, there's Charlton what? Christ Heston elements? Blat- Christ elements. He blatantly played into them in this movie. Okay. Um, it's He literally gives his blood to others to save them. Oh, yeah, okay, body in the blood. And remember how he dies in this movie. Spoiler for yes. anybody who's not seen it. He's basically crucified yes. in the fountain in front of his place. Mm-hmm. Very Christ-like. And, and... Charlton Heston deliberately leaned into that. So, okay. I was like, how I mean, so? And then now that you said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, the body in the blood. <laughs> uh, he, I mean, Charlton Heston, you got to remember, even back in the day, I mean, uh, you know, this young, I mean, he died probably before, like, some of the youngest, you know, people who are listening to this, if, they, if we do have that young, uh, you know, heard about him. But he was very into, like, the NRA like he was the, you know, like the head of it at one point, or at least the figurehead of it. Uh, whenever we were in like high school, you know, college era, and um, even back in this time, he was very pro Second Amendment. He was very uh, Christian, you know, based this and that. So that's the reason he did, the, you know, did movies like the Ten Commandments. So I mean, he he really wanted those elements in this movie. So yeah. it's not like he leaned away from them. Oh, God. Uh, acting, uh, he, he is uh, overacting to the nth degree in this movie. Yeah. I, the guy who's playing Matthias is, I mean, he's delivering these very like stilted, well, I don't know what you say stilted. They're very like out there, like big, long dialogues every time he talks, but I feel like he does a pretty good job of delivering them like to where they're not too overblown, mm-hmm. but Charlton Heston is out there. Like, yeah. He is just out. He's giving know? it to us. <laughs> and Lisa. <laughs> yes, that is true. Yes. Lisa too. Uh what what do you think about her? I feel like she's kinda understated in this movie. Like she I mean, they 
and it's good because they could have went that whole like black exploitation angle with her the way she looked in this movie especially yeah of where she was like very sassy black woman and i don't get she didn't do that she didn't lean into it as hard as she could have yeah noah was telling me uh oh you know she's a black woman and i i i wasn't convinced at first i was like she looks puerto rican at you know darkest to me uh but she herself said that she absolutely refused to be the typical black woman that you saw in the movies at this time. So that was all her and good for her for standing her ground because I feel like she was unfortunately in a time era where women of color didn't get to speak their mind like that. Not in, not in America anyways, maybe in other places where films were being made, but in America it was like, no, nope, we don't probably even want you in our films, not for anything major. Which is fucking yeah. ridiculous. I thought she was pretty good, but I feel like you're right. They did underutilize her because, despite being, you know, maybe she wasn't a typical black sassy woman in the film, but she was just a typical sex, you know, toy in the film. She was basically there to be his his. I don't even know if you say love interest, lust interest, yeah. more than anything. And I mean, they, they built a little bit on her with that relationship with her and her brother, but then like how quickly she turns toward the end of the movie, like we don't even get resolution from that Mm-mm. because she doesn't even really respond to Richie's death because she's already turned over to a ghoul at that point. Yeah. Uh, whenever he's dead. I mean, he's dead, uh, but you could tell at some point he was becoming back. He's coming back to life. Yeah. Because he, and, he turned uh, normal. And, they took the powder out of his hair, you know? Yeah, and 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 Richie, you know, which the one we talked about going on to be a director, uh, kudos to him because I mean he didn't like lean into any really black stereotypes mm-hmm. either as far as a character. He was he was just an average kid, a little naive. He was like, and uh, just like you pointed out, he's he he literally was a stand-in for what you just said. He was like, why do you why do you all have to fight? Like you can cure them of their disease. Like why are we doing this? You know. Yeah. And 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 then uh, Charlton Heston kind of a, you know, a little bit symbolic was just like, fuck them. I, I ain't going to heal those fucking freaks, you know. It's because like, fuck them, we'll that's why. <laughs> that's a sad comment on, like, humankind, but it it, it, it happens. Now, um, I was losing a little bit of interest in this film by the time we were getting to the point where uh, the kid kind of was turning back to normal. Uh, yeah. It gets that's a big criticism of these movies. I, now they said it. I, I've read this criticism about Last Man on Earth. I don't feel like it was near. It was that bad in that movie. I actually, I enjoyed it most of the way through. This one slows down. Yeah. during that <clears throat> point, and it's just like, oh, come, come on now, come on. You um, know, it's like I need a refresh or a recap of what happened between the kid, uh, Lisa turning. And that's it. Like I, I, I must have missed that, or I just didn't. It's, it's funny. They, they spend so much time in the domestic love scenes between, um, you know, uh, Neville and Lisa, and this, you know, and, and towards like the back half of this movie, and it kind of drags a little bit. But then whenever it starts to punch it up for the final like confrontation, it's like blinking, you'll miss it type shit. Okay, which I did. Um, I, I blinked, so I missed yeah. what happened. What happened to the kid? How did he Richie, end up dying? Richie goes to the uh, state court courtroom building, or the, I mean, the, the the LA courtroom building where mm-hmm. Matthias is held up. He uh, <clears throat> he comes to him and says, "Listen, 
Neville can heal you. You don't have to live like this. Can we work something out? And Matthias basically says, you represent everything that's wrong with the world just like he does, and we're proud to be like, you know, what we are now, and we're not going to go back, and he dec- dec- uh, declares uh, the judgment of death on him from his position. Okay. And there's a quick scene of, like, Richie with like blood coming out of his mouth. Yes, like, I saw that. You know, it doesn't really sh- doesn't really show how he was killed. And then the next thing that you see is them on their way to Neville's to take him out. And you there's a scene of um, Lisa who has went off presumably just to shop for her and Neville uh, at night whenever he kind of warned her not to, <laughs> and she has instantly converted. Like there's been like no like hints, uh, you know, even like. You know, because with Richie, it was a slow turn. It was like, yeah. you know, his, his skin was getting the al- albinism, and it was like his eyes were turning, but he wasn't quite there. No, she's just like, you know, yeah. she's she's in an instant. And boom and goes then, the dynamite. Yep, and then uh, she joins the cult uh, because, I guess, if you become one of the ghouls, that, that instantly makes you one of them. I don't know how that works One either. of us. One of us. <laughs> Weebo wobble. Um and then at the end of the movie, uh, she helps, uh, uh, she basically helps them get inside of, uh, Neville's complex. And, uh, and, and at the last minute when she could have helped him out to kind of, to, uh, he was trying to get her to leave with him. He works his way out of that situation, killing Zachary in the process, uh, uh, before he can get away. Uh, she kind of turns on him because Matthias kind of plays into his, you know, Charlie Manson part of it, you know, convincing her that she needs to, you know, kind of help them. And then uh, Neville gets harpooned basically. Yeah. Uh, which goes back to what you said again. He doesn't like guns, but a harpoon gun that's mm-hmm. or a spear or whatever is yeah. fine. Mm. Okay. Matthias, you're, I mean, it's all great, you know, shades of the same thing, but whatever you want to argue I bet you as soon that. as like the last human is gone, which is Neville, I bet you like Matthias is like, okay, let's take his guns. Like, <laughs> No, you said no. <laughs> I bet you they don't even eat butter. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've got they probably got some kind of weird dietary thing. It's like we we can't have this because it represents the old times, like processed canned foods or something. Yeah. Um. Um. And then music wise, like the music, there's some odd choices in this oh, movie because you. whenever. Whenever uh, Neville is like getting ready to make love to uh, Lisa, it gets very almost like seventies porn based or whatever. Got that? And there's a scene in the movie too where he's like, it's supposed to be a dramatic scene, but the mo- the music they cut in is more like this weird like seventies like. Uh, yeah, it's like love music, but it's like, you know, mixed with like action music. And it's like, that's not what this scene is trying to convey. Are you talking like, about the courthouse scene where he was talking to, uh, what's his name? Uh, Matthias, Matthias. and they were kind of like talking to each other. Is that what you're, you're yeah, saying? Yeah, there's weird music. It sounds like a mixture of jazz mixed with carousel music. Yeah, yeah. And at the beginning of it, there and I've got that in the trivia, there was supposed to be another song that, it was a Frank Sinatra song that he was supposed to be singing while he was in his Ford. They couldn't get the rights to it, so uh, they put like they put like some kind of breezy jazz version of like some other song on top of it, which okay. doesn't really like fit that well. I'm going to be so real music- honest with you. I liked the jazz A-track he was using. 
I did. It did not bother me. I thought it suited the times. It was a little calming. It was funny because it's soothing and relaxing. He's just having a a, a, a drive down the fucking into the city. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's just fucking shooting at some silhouette in the window. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> the fu- what, the if the main the selling point of this movie is fucking Charlton Heston. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, I now I appreciate Matthias. He, I love some. I mean, even though they're long and long winded, some of his lines are just. I mean, the way he says them and everything else is just so good. But like Charlton Heston being just so out there, like and as the way he is in this movie, that's where you watch this movie for. You don't watch it for like you know trying to get some kind of inner meaning on anything or. Or even like the Last Man on Earth, where it's got that lonely apocalypse. No, you're watching Charlton Heston just chew through the scenery like left and right in this movie. Um, like that scene where he goes in the movie theater and he's uh, he's watching for like the umpteenth time uh, the uh, some kind of footage from Woodstock that was out there. You oh know, yeah, that had been filmed. You know that Charlton Heston in real life. I mean, he was fifty something years. He was fifty something years old in this movie. Uh, you know that he didn't give two shits about Woodstock. Sorry, my daughter walked in. <laughs> um, he didn't give two shits about two, uh, Woodstock. I mean, I feel like in that time era that he was in, was he, well, n- excuse me, let me backtrack. Not the time era he was in, but what he was going through, is he supposed to give two shits? I, I just think it's like a, a funny little scene, like seeing him interact. Cause I mean, he was as anti Woodstock as a person could be. I mean, uh, you talk about somebody who was all about like, you know, fighting in That's Vietnam true. and all that. I mean, it was Charlton Heston was the epitome of like a Republican back in that time period, you know? I'm I mean, just, he was, Yeah, that's true. But now hear me out on this though. You got to get your entertainment any way you can. So he's going to be open to a lot more things. Think of it this way. I was thinking of him listening to that fucking cheesy-ass jazz A-track. But, like, then I was thinking, he's going to run out of music. What else exists out there? Fucking polka music? He's going to start listening to fucking polka music. And probably not a fan of it. But I'm going to start listening to a bunch of different things so I'm not listening to the same shit over and over, even though mine's in your Spotify list probably is the same music we've been listening to since high school. That's true. Uh, then there's some scene where he's got that big camera that he's like watching the outside with, but like one of them is centered directly on him. And like Lisa even makes a comment on it. She's like, do you like looking at yourself? And he's like, uh, he's like best looking guy around or something like that. He makes a comment like that. It's like, man, you're just, I mean, like he's, he's all like just all man in this movie. Like he doesn't like, I mean, he doesn't bow down to anybody in this film. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of fun to watch. Not even <laughs> not even a little bit. Do you think that when Star Wars came out, I think the first one came out late 70s, like 77, and I don't think that we had, um, what's his name in there, uh, Emperor Palpatine yet, but do you think Palpatine came from the look of these creatures? Um, now George stole from a lot of stuff, so it wouldn't surprise me if he stole the look of Palpatine from like the, the black hooded creatures. Yeah. Cause I mean, he, he does. And he even has like, I mean, isn't his skin like very white and stuff, mm-hmm. just like these monsters do pale skin, uh, pale eyes. Yeah, he does. He has the eyes kind of like that, but although his is like yellowish looking, I think yeah. in the movie, 
um yeah i wouldn't be surprised i mean because he did take a lot from like different sources so i mean he, he might have watched this and that stood out to him it's like that's a cool look for something. I want to use that in my movie. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking he did because I when I saw them, I was like, oh well, at least specific. Eh, I cannot word right now. Specifically, Matthias. I was like, mm, Palpatine. <laughs> That's a good call. I didn't even think about that. Now, but I wasn't thinking about Star Wars watching this either. So back to the topic of music, though. Aside from me liking that horrible jazz music again, taking his leisurely stroll. Um, I thought the music was god awful in this. I it did uh, some of a lot of it did not match what was going on in the scene. It was very it, Japanese. It's it's, it's anti. It, it's actually anti the mood of the movie mm-hmm. whenever it's been played. Yeah, there I was mean, very there was actually some good action scenes too, and it was actually thrown off by the music, which is terrible. Yeah, the action scenes were like that very terrible, like seventies, like TV action mm-hmm. movie, like riff or whatever if they were going on and i'm just like uh, that kind of hurts if you if you rescored this movie i think you can make it even better than what it is oh honestly. yeah i think so on i i agree with you on that one um not to say that you couldn't improve upon other parts of the movie no. but like i mean the music would definitely if you just left what was there rescored it you know punched it up in that way i think it would add a lot to this movie i feel like there's always things that we like oh if we change this about a movie we change that no i think you're right what if we didn't change anything other than the music it could dramatically change a lot of fucking films um well even like that that i mean it would for sure because music is i mean people don't give it credit for what it adds to movie. you watch like the lord of the rings i mean if you're into those movies that music from howard shore is like it's chef's kiss like like it's that stirring like you know like uh, orchestral uh grand epic music or whatever the movie wouldn't be half as good as what it is without that going on yeah and like this movie, if you had a good score behind those scenes where the people were dying, even though it looks cheesy as is, it would make those scenes actually be more effective than what they are currently. Yeah. I mean, as far as like conveying like how deadly this virus was that kind of swept over the, you know, the, the planet after the two uh, were fighting each other. Um, <sighs> Thinking, I mean... Yeah, because the way I felt about this in general, just watching it again for the first time was that... This virus doesn't seem that scary. I don't want to turn to one of those people, but is that really the worst way to live? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, it's not. I mean, that's, um, I saw somebody make the comment, uh, trying to read some others' reviews to kind of get some like ideas of what other people thought about this. And some guy pointed this out. I guess it's not a invalid criticism says that most post-apocalyptic movies are libertarian dreams. Because <laughs> you've always got, like, the scene of the guy, the, or whoever the protagonist is, just like in this one in particular, driving down the road in, like, the, the a premium car, got the best weaponry you can get. He's just living his best life because the government's off his back. Yeah. He don't have to, he don't have to worry about uh, other people, like, getting in his shit anymore. It's just like him against the world, and it's like, Literally. I was like, well, you know, I want, I want to be, I, I want to hate that comment because I, I lean libertarian, but I'm like, you're not wrong. It's like, it really is one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what libertarians want is just to be left the fuck alone. And, you know, if they want to go out and, you know, 
cruise down the, you know, the, the city, you know, at 80 plus miles per hour in a, in a flashy sports car, they can do it. And there's no cop going to pull them over, you know, in this reality. Uh, <laughs> um, but okay. But at the same time, okay. And, and I, it sounds like I'm defending the dark side over here, but like Matthias, not Matthias. Uh, what's his name? Why can't I remember our main character's name? Neville. Neville. Robert thank Neville. you. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be him. I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't want to be think alone. you're supposed to want to be him. Okay. Like, I mean, uh, I mean, even though they, they paint him as like this big macho man, good with the ladies and all that in this movie, I don't think you're supposed to, you're the way that they paint this movie, you're supposed to actually side with a kid that, that med student kid at the end of the movie, he's, he's the one that's actually starting a new reality, which is funny because he is the, as close to Woodstock in this movie as, as any of the characters are. And he represents like what the new generation is trying to accomplish, which is a world free of both of those idiots that are fighting Matthias and, yeah. you know, Neville, they're just wanting to live and, and, you know, and not have to deal with anything. And so you're, that's the person you're supposed to side with is him, not not Neville, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, now, based on what we talked about earlier, like, Neville, why aren't you going out to the country to have your cult? Not Neville, Matthias. Neville, why aren't you moving out to the country so you don't have to deal with what's happening in the city? Well, this is where I, I live. This is where I always lived. Ooh, well, this is my land. That. He's like, this was my house. Yeah. And nobody's going to get going to get it. And it's just like, and again, that goes back to that cop, you know, that person. It's just like, that's what a libertarian would say. It's yeah. like, this is my fucking property. My property. Get the fuck out of here. Get off my lawn. <laughs> get off my lawn. And, th- and, that, and then that goes back to being Matthias's fault because they, every night they kept going and fucking with him. Yep. And this guy's Matthias, literally just doing his thing. And it's like, okay, you're going to fuck with me at night. I'm going to fuck with you during the day. These are just neighbors that cannot come to an agreement. It's, I mean, which does go back to the original novel in the sense that this is the Ben character in this movie. I mean, Matthias is the character that just has it out for Neville and will not leave him alone, you know? Yeah. Uh, But in this one, it's harder to, just like you said, it's harder to give him the benefit of the doubt. Ben is just a mindless ghoul who knows nothing other than, I remember Robert Morgan, I'm going to, I want to kill him, you know, for whatever reason. It's like in his diseased brain. Matthias is very eloquent. He's yeah. very intelligent. He's just like, dude, stop. Just go somewhere yeah. else. I mean, you can, start up your, your, you can start up your funky Manson-level cult anywhere. Just get the fuck out of there. Yeah, and especially if there's no one around you for miles. And if a human comes across your domain, then you can take that person, if you want to, into your cult. Yeah, yeah. Simple. That's I mean, their fault. They came. They fucked with your grass. That, that that's that's all you now. Ain't nobody gonna stop you. However, quit and, going to other people's lawns and fucking with them. And again, it makes no sense why he would be in the city anyways. Because they hate everything that the yeah. city represents. The old civilization. Why not live out in the woods like a bunch of hippies? I mean, that's what you want to do. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> Uh, moving on to trivia for this movie, uh, the writers came up with the idea to make Neville's love interest an African-American woman, even though an interracial relationship was still considered controversial in the 70s. <gasps> the writers figured that, it, that in a world where humanity had almost become extinct, the few survivors would not care about any of that shit anymore. So uh, pretty, pretty on point, I think. They, uh, I mean, 
And there's actually a deleted scene where she reveals that she was actually pregnant uh, with his kid. Oh, damn. Okay. Um, I just want to say something on that topic. It's funny how back in the day we hated that it was, we felt like it was white people that were against that. And for the most part, I guess it was, if one person is saying it, it must be right. So we're all going to, we all have to be against it, even though you knew there was a ton of fucking you know, white people that had jungle fever or whatever. Okay. That's totally fine. But nowadays as a person who's married to a white person, it feels like it's more the cultures that are against getting with a person that is not of color, a white person. So like, Uh, you know, it's going, it's went the opposite. Mm -hmm. They're, They're segregating in all of the senses, even including like, uh, you know, it's like, why are you with this person sexually? It's like, I mean, now if they identify as three or four different genders and, and in addition to being, you know, whatever they are, then that's acceptable. But if they're just, you know, uh, uh, you know, black guy, white woman, or, mm-hmm. or white, you know, white guy, black woman, uh, and don't identify with any kind of weird, strange thing, then uh, you all shouldn't probably associate with each other because one's oppressed and one isn't. And you should probably go back to the one that's, you know, that's that's not got this hierarchical, like, uh, power over the other one. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the algorithm is algorithming on my TikTok, but I get a lot of videos, and it's not of Latinas in particular. In fact, it's, well, I don't know. I feel like on my TikTok page, it's the rise of the white man taking all of the beautiful women of color, every color you can imagine, Asian, brown, black, all over the board, okay? The white man is taking all of the beautiful women, and it's like, I think the beautiful women are sick of you. Like, not of the white men. <laughs> I think they're just like, we're sick of our own brand because y'all are oppressive motherfuckers. I'm sorry. It, that's how it is. I've never been more oppressed by anyone other than my own race of people. So I think it's kind of funny that, you know, in the 70s, this was so controversial. I'm glad they approached it because it's, one, not. And I think that's a good way of getting out of that kind of controversy, honestly. is like, well, in the movies, it's acceptable. That means, I mean, remember when smoking was acceptable all over the place in movies? It's almost like that. Yeah. I I'm mean, sorry. yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy going back and watching some of these older movies, especially. I, I feel like it reached its peak in the 80s, like just one cigarette after the other. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, it's, like they, they never stop smoking. And it's like, okay, <laughs> this is, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think back to this scene from The Shining where Jack Nicholson, I mean, it's a behind the scenes thing. He is going, he's brushing his teeth. And I mean, he's like, he puts way more effort in and I, my dentist probably wishes I did <laughs> what he's doing in the scene. I mean, he's like just going to town and like, you know, really getting in there and scrubbing his, you know, teeth and all that. Cause he's getting ready to have a scene where he's got to kiss Shelly Duvall or whatever her name is. In, in that. Wow. And um, then he just slides up a cigarette right after that. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> why even bother brushing your teeth reverend to... it's okay they were menthols <laughs> <laughs> and of course in that same movie she has that scene where she's got the the ash that you're just sitting there you've got more anxiety about it than you do about the ghost it's like how the fuck is she kept that thing yeah. from just like falling all <laughs> over the place I like the internet memes on that too because they've made that ash like super long even go outside the frame yeah now. It's, it just looks ridiculous Oh my God. Um, but yeah, I, you think, and I mean, if anybody's ever been around somebody who smokes, it's like, 
there's no way in hell like that. I mean, like that, that if, if you're, if you're with a smoker, then maybe you don't care. But like, if it's a non-smoker to smoker, they don't, that, that kissing somebody after they've done that, it's not going to be pleasant for you. I mean, it just isn't. Okay. I mean, it not- isn't. Um, I, I've, I've definitely gotten Noah to stop smoking cigarettes a long time ago. In fact, way before we even got married, but, I don't know how he pulled it off. He's the only person I know that has smoked that didn't have a gross mouth. Uh, Cause that is a thing. FYI um, Two. Now you got the smokers that have the, the douche flutes um, is what we call them. Um, which is the e-cigarettes, if you will. Oh yeah. They're flavored. Definitely no gross mouth, but I feel like it is so dangerous. I feel like those are so dangerous. They, they allow always, you to smoke I mean, nonstop and, and not even think about it, you know? I, I just see people like, I mean, I was watching a stream earlier with somebody in, uh, on YouTube, and the, and the guy was hitting it like every like four seconds, I feel like. And I'm yeah. just like, I don't know how that's healthier. I mean, Mm-mm, you know, it's uh, not. there's, I mean, there's chemicals in there that's still propelling that. So, yeah. I mean, you're breathing them in more than you are if you were, I mean, unless you're a chain smoker. I have seen that too, where somebody literally won't even let the one burn down. To yeah, them, uh, they're lighting they're up lighting the other up one another with one. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, anyways. <laughs> uh, Rosalind Cash was uh, uneasy before her love scene with Charlton Heston saying, it feels strange to screw Moses. Oh, okay. She has a point. That's hella funny. Like you were Moses. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, as batshit insane as she is, has remarked that this kiss between the characters played by Charlton Heston and Rosalind Cash was one of the first interracial kisses to appear in a movie, which is what I said earlier. Yeah. So um, good on them. The production company wanted a locale that looked like an abandoned metropolitan area, but it was too costly to build. The producer drove through downtown L.A. one weekend and discovered there were no shoppers, so the majority of the film's exteriors were shot there on weekends. Wait, what? Just like you said. Yeah. They literally drove into L.A. and said, this place looks abandoned. Let's just film here. Yeah, (laughs) downtown. back in the 70s. Downtown Los Angeles is wild. Um, Back during COVID, and this is funny because this is one of the times where we had to go, but we also had to wear our masks in our car, we went to a Stranger Things. Um, it was a drive-through experience. It was so dumb. We'll just leave it at that. But anyways, uh, it was at like an abandoned parking garage, which I'm like, did they even have to pay anyone to like put this up there? I'm sure they're making money. It was a huge production company, so I'm sure they did. Um, but yeah, it, it, that when I was driving to this area, I'm like, where the fuck are we? You ever seen uh, National Lampoon's Vacation where he's driving through the ghetto and they're staring, his, yes. stealing his hubcaps? That's what I thought was going to yes. happen. I, I think that every time I drive through a city, uh, <laughs> but that's that's just me where I live in the country. But you know, that's hella funny. Uh, the facade set used for uh, Neville's Fortress home still stands uh, relatively unchanged on Warner Brothers Ranch Park Boulevard, formerly, formerly Columbia Ranch in Burbank. It can easily be seen using Google Maps 3D. Wow. Uh, the facade faces east-southeast. So, I mean, you can still see Neville's house on there. Okay. Uh, Charlton Heston had read the original novel on an airplane coming back to Los Angeles and was very interested in a modern adapt- uh, adaptation of the book. He was totally unaware that the film had already been made into, or that the book had already been made into a film years before as Last Man on Earth starring Vincent Price. Mm, so he sure did he no wasn't. homework on that. Mm-hmm. I bet. Uh, I've never heard of that film. You fucking liar. 
The A track that Neville plays in his car in the opening sequence is clearly Sinatra's Strangers in the Night, but presumably due to licensing issues, an instrumental version of a summer place is used on the soundtrack instead. So there's, there's your music. Uh, Richard Matheson said that the Omega Man was so removed from this book that it didn't, that it didn't bother him. <laughs> the one that's the farthest away from his fucking book, and and I and he's just like, well, it, it doesn't even resemble it, so I don't fucking care about that one. Yeah, and it's not called. Well, the book's called, not the book. The movie that we're thinking of is um, an uh, I Am Legend. So. Yeah. Yeah, he he. he. I I, I kind of get it. I mean, he can't be mad at this mm-hmm. one because it's like it's so far out there. It doesn't even resemble it. So it's not. It's not like they attacked his baby. Like he felt like the first one. Did, did they mention or, his name in anything though? Like, did they say based off the story? You know the last. Uh, I I don't think they did. Okay. Uh, well, then yes. then then I wouldn't be mad because. They're not I even mean, they, using they it. They had to give him. They had to give him credits because it's based upon his book. But I think that's all they did was give him, you know, whatever production credits for that. Okay. Um, Charlton Heston has a pro had approached Orson Welles to direct this. That would have been an interesting movie to watch. Yeah. Uh, Touch of Evil was the it was Orson Welles movie that you know starred both of them in, in the movie. Uh, in the film, the plague that caused the end of the world was unleashed by germ warfare as a result of the border war between China and Russia. In fact, China and Russia had some very serious border, skir- border skirmishes during the ni- during 1969 that had many of the world leaders concerned about the possibility of all-out war between the communist superpowers. So this was actually a real thing that was happening at the time, was okay. the two of them fighting. Okay. And now they're joined together and scaring the shit out of people in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't think we can be happy with the relationship between China and Russia, no matter what they do. So I, uh, whatever. Um, Tim Burton has said that this is one of his favorite films and the one film he, and that he would bring with him if he were stranded on a desert Island. Uh, he later worked with Heston on a remake of Planet of the apes. Uh, you know, okay. I think Heston played one of the apes in the new version. Uh, that Tim Burton did. I don't like Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. I think it's one of his worst movies, and I, and I love the original Planet of the Apes, and I actually like the new uh, series that they came out with. But Burton's is dog shit. I mean, it's really bad to me, at least. Which is funny that this would be the movie that he chose because he's also worked with Vincent Price, and it's motherfucking Vincent Price. Uh, yeah, Vincent Price was actually the voice. Uh, well, I, he was in Edward Scissorhands. Yes. He was the creator. Which that took me a minute was, to realize. I was like, he looks like that guy from Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> he and also he was the voice uh uh over for uh, i want to say that was it it, it was a, it was victor or some kind of other name like that it was a little short film that burton did way before he ever did uh you know any or that of any of his other movies it's like a little drawn thing that he did it Frank was and weenie? like a no, it was before Frank and Weenie. It was actually wow. on the disc for Frank and Weenie. It's like a hand-drawn thing where this kid is basically a super goth, you know. Okay. And he, and he dreams that he's like Edgar Allan Poe. And it's like, and it's narrated by Vincent Price, I believe. How do you um, get that? That is insane. Like, like <laughs> I can understand Michael Jackson getting Vincent Price to do Thriller. Yeah. But, like, Tim Burton wasn't big back then. No, it was before he broke out and become big. It was kind of surprising that he had that on there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, he just it, uh, Burton was attracted to anybody of any kind of goth likes. Like I'm, I feel like Tim Burton would like me. I feel like he'd like me. Probably like my daughter better, probably, but you know. 
Not me as like um, and not not like in sexually or anything. I mean like uh, that's with him though. I wouldn't put it past him ugh. either. I mean he's he's clearly all right of a type. Keep Tim Burton I mean, away look, look, from my daughter. Look at all the people that Tim Burton has has dated. I mean I'm super jealous of the guy. I mean he's yeah he's been with some of the, the hot goths. I'll just put it that way. Well, were uh, some of them goths before they even got with him? Because I feel like they were they were borderline and then yeah. he, they went full off. And then got super hot whenever they were with him. And then after that, they kind of like brightened back up a little bit and then, you know, whatever. But, uh, uh, yeah, he, uh, the one that kind of didn't fit the mode whatsoever that got super goth with him, but was not whatsoever before was that Lisa Marie, the one that was mm-hmm. in, um, the hot the alien. Mom. Well, she was also the hot alien, but she was the mom in uh, sleepy hollow. Oh yeah. She was, she was the odd one out because, uh, Helena Bottom Carter and, uh, um, uh, Eva Green were both like very close to Goss before they ever got with him, and then went full on whenever they were with him. So yeah, they definitely were at minimum they were emo. Yeah, and yeah. then they went full Goth. Uh, Lisa Marie, though, I think he fucked up with that one. She's still super hot. She was too hot for him, though. I don't know how that relationship even worked. Which I, I will say that actually Eva Green probably was too. But I mean, and Helena, I don't know. She's. I could see her like being attracted to him, like how creative he is, but he he's he's a goofy looking guy. He's not. He, I don't I don't know what these ladies saw in him, other than the fact that he's his creativity or whatever. Yeah. Uh, two scenes were deleted prior to the theatrical release of the film. A scene in which Lisa Rosalind Cash visits the graveside of her parents and hears crying coming from a nearby crypt. Entering the crypt, she finds a female member of the family. Uh, holding her stillborn baby armed with a machine gun. Lisa considers killing the mother, but turns and leaves. Uh, In another deleted scene immediately following, she tells Neville Charlton Heston about that incident, whereupon he asks if she took care of her, and Lisa tells Neville she couldn't do it as she reveals she is pregnant with his child. Jesus. Um, That actually says a lot about Neville, too. It's just like, well, did you take care of the bitch? It's like... (laughs) I mean, yeah, he has no chill in this Did movie. Did you handle uh, it? Uh, another deleted scene features the little girl uh, who brings flowers and apples in a bag to Neville's apartment garden and prays for him to protect her and not let the devil take her soul. Uh, again, playing into the Christ-like, you know, aspect of, of Neville in this movie. Uh, the film takes place in August of 1977. Again, uh, it's in the future from whenever the movie's actually uh, been released. Uh, if you want a post-apocalyptic movie to hit just a little bit harder, just set it a few years out from the time and people are like, oh shit, that could, you know, really happen. Um, the scene in which Heston's character watches Woodstock inspired Joel Hodgson, uh, to create Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh shit. So... And I, I love that. I love Mystery Science. Yeah. Oh, my God. Obviously. So, but literally him sitting in the theater and like kind of mimicking the movie. Is yes. What gave that, that guy the idea to do that. Dude, that's cool. th- <clears throat> that's hell awesome. Uh, the opening credits uses a font called Ravenscroft, presumably named after Thurl Ravenscroft or Raven, Ravenscroft uh, used for the sign of the Haunted Mansion attraction at Disney Park in California. So this movie uses the same font as the Haunted Mansion. What the hell? Well, I'm surprised they didn't call it. What? What is that one movie we saw where they said it's called Horror Font or something? <laughs> that's not the name of it, but I was dying that they said that that's what it was called. Uh, I don't remember at this point. Do you remember what the movie was even about? No, like, I just remember 
like just rolling my eyes because like they you said every actor was obsessed with the font and I'm like I have never heard of that we're, we're obsessed with the font of this opening of this film. <laughs> uh, Neville almost dies in a hel- helicopter crash. Ironically, and this is kind of sad. The director of this movie, uh, Boris Segal, was actually killed. Uh, during the production of a miniseries, World War Three, where he walked into the tail rotor blades of a helicopter. Holy shit! So the director of this movie like walked into the the tail rotor blades of a helicopter later, or like just a few years, just a few years after this. Uh, kind of weird. Uh, Heston encountered a similar odd behaving cult a year earlier in Beneath the Planet of the Apes from 1970. Which is kind of, I mean, it, it really is close, too, because I remember that movie, like, they're, they're uh, the cult in that movie where they've lived underground, they're very pale, just like they are in this movie, they yeah. got the robes. Uh, I guarantee you that if George Lucas didn't steal from Matthias in this movie, he stole from Beneath the Planet of the Apes, because where it's a sci-fi movie about, you know, like, you know, uh, otherworldly, or, you know, the apes being, like, man-like creatures or whatever. Yeah. Um, he took from one of these two movies. Uh, the plot line of people dropping dead from a super pathogen will be further explored by horror author Stephen King and his mega novel, The, the Stand, which was written in 78. Makes me wonder if, if mm. uh, Stephen King watched this and was just yeah. like, You're, bingo. Yeah, you, you read my mind completely because I was just, it's <laughs> immediately when I heard that in 1978, I was like, oh, somebody's copying. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, though, The Stand is phenomenal. It's probably one of the best works of fiction that I I, I think anybody in the 20th century wrote. And this is coked if up you, Stephen King, right? Uh, he wasn't as bad. He hadn't okay. quite got to the levels of cokedom that he did in the 80s. Okay. I mean, he was he was probably on pot pretty heavy. Uh, okay, that's fine. Which uh, I don't know how you could be creative on pot. I feel like that shit makes you... I don't know. I, I don't. I don't either. But like, I mean, people find ways to make it work. Okay. Somehow. I mean, I'm not. I'm not even upset at them. Uh, a TV miniseries followed in 1994, but the seminal work that inspired it was Stephen King's short uh, short story called Night Surf, which was first per- published in 1969. So technically, he had the kernel of the idea for like the super flu because I've read that that short story and he mentions Captain Trips in it, which is the what he later calls the disease in the stand. So they are linked and he did write this before this movie came out, but he probably watched this movie and was like, okay, I really need to make a whole fucking novel over this. We need to make this a thing. Yeah. Uh, The department store scene with a live person appearing was seen again in Stephen King's novel, the stand. And it's actually in the miniseries too. Uh, They're in a, in the, uh, I think it's a character, Nick Andros, is like, because uh, he's uh, he's kind of, I think he's deaf in the movies. He definitely can't speak. And uh, he happens to see movement amongst these uh, a bunch of mannequins that are like all, you know, positioned inside of like a store or whatever. And he kind of falls after the person. Almost makes me wonder if Stephen King took that scene from this movie and put it in the stand. As we have um, come to find out, anything is possible. Uh, this was the second film that Charlton Heston and Anthony Zerby starred in together. They started in a Western called Will Penny uh, before this. Um, Heston was an avowed political conservative and Warhawk in his personal life. It would have been extremely galling for him to have to watch him memorize <laughs> lines from the Woodstock film with its promotion of hippie ideals, drugs, and anti-Vietnam stance. 
uh, that's why I find that scene so humorous because yes. I know in real life he would have hated the fuck out of that. Hated it, but you know what? I mean, you're an actor <laughs> and you're getting paid to do something, so do it. Yeah. Uh, at the end of this movie, Charlton Heston's character dies the same way he did in another movie, Cartoon from 1966. His body stabbed by a lance. Damn. Um, the final shot of Charlton Heston dead in the fountain is meant to be reminiscent of Christ on the cross. Amen. And they, they deliberately yeah. made it look that way. Uh, this movie, um, definitely not my favorite, uh, uh, adaptation. Um, it strays quite a bit. Uh, but as a movie, it's my second favorite of this lot because it's in, it's just fun. Yeah. It's just fun to watch. It is. I mean, it definitely has that, uh, it's got humor in it. Uh, yeah, he's, he's cracking jokes and sarcastic through most of the movie. It, so, like, it's you have to appreciate that because, as we have mentioned, dark humor is how you're going to get yourself through these times. Yeah, the way that he interacts with the the corpse and the uh, and the dealership is exact. I mean, if you're going to survive this mentally, you've got to have like that dark sense of humor. You're going to crack. Like that's that's yeah. all there is to it. I, I uh, yeah, I I can't imagine, and I don't want to imagine. But yeah, that's you know would be hard is if we had to go through these times, if there was no internet, which ironically the movie that some of us had been watching recently, uh, Leave the World Behind, there was still, oh, wait, no, there was no internet. Not being able to contact the Scooby gang to be like, guys, I'm alive, but I'm dying on the inside. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, if you didn't have anybody to talk to, that that would for sure be a, a thing. Yeah, I mean, even if I had the, the family, I'd still want to be like, God, I wonder what the Scooby gang is doing, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, you... you human beings are social creatures. I mean, yeah. we are like, even if, I mean, like, even if you're an introvert, you need somebody every once in a while just to be like, you know, to get that lonely feeling. I mean, now introverts don't need much, but they need something you yeah. know, every once in a while. Uh, extroverts, I don't know how they would survive in this Mm-mm. situation. They'd probably kill themselves in the first few days because if they couldn't, if they couldn't find somebody else to talk to, they, they would be just like, what's the fucking point? get me the rope or whatever and I'm gone. Now, when you say introvert, you're talking about a real introvert. Not these people that are like, sorry guys, I'm introverted. (laughs) I'm just, I'm going to go now. I I just can't, you know, it's like, shut up. And then they're on social media posting all their business. You know, it's like, yeah, you're not an introvert and you don't have some kind of weird postpartum or post, not part post traumatic, anything. Calm down. Yeah. I, well, I think people, I don't, I mean, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who is fully one. Well, I mean, I have met some extreme extroverts. I can't really say that introverts. I, I don't know. I've only met like a couple of people in my, in my life that were like, I would say were extreme introverts. Most people do want to get out and socialize at least a little bit. Now their social batteries might wear out super quick, but they do like to get out and talk to other people every once in a while, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, uh, this situation would suck. I mean, it just oh, yeah. would have been not having anybody to to interact with. And but he's got a little bit easier in this movie. I'm gonna uh, Neville in this movie's got it easier than uh, than Vincent Price did in the first movie because Vincent Price, I mean, had one ghoul who could even say anything halfway to him for most of the movie, and the rest of them were just like mindless zombies going around. Matthias could carry on the whole fucking conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, just like you said, there's no reason why the two of these guys couldn't talk to each other. I mean, you know. You can't hash it out. 
And like <laughs> Matthias wasn't even being violent towards him. I know eventually it was going to turn to that, but he was sitting there having a calm, collected conversation with him. And it's like, you guys should do this for a little bit longer. Yeah, I think they would be, I mean, uh, so I, I feel like Charlton Heston's character had a little bit easier in a sense, just because like the ghouls that were coming after him, like they, they were smarter and they could have done worse things, but they didn't deliberately yeah. because they were, they were trying to be better than him. And like, and I mean, they were very, very well spoken too. So there's no reason why he couldn't have like carried or at least attempted to like come to some kind of understanding with them. But. Yeah. Um, but this movie's just batshit. I mean, <laughs> it, you, you got to go into it knowing that. I mean, it, it, it doesn't try to, I mean, like the last man on earth has like the loneliness and like all that stuff going on. This movie's just like balls to the wall, like guns blazing, uh, 54 or however old he was, your old Charlton Heston shirtless, oh, uh, showing God. his, uh, suntan body to the world as he's getting ready to bed a young black woman. I mean, it's, it's it's excess to the extreme, so it's it, that's what it is. She uh, was beige. Quite a, uh, yeah, well, I mean, she, was she wouldn't. Uh, she was half his age. I mean, but she was still of age. Well, no, 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 uh, no, no. Her, the color of her skin. She was beige. Oh, I thought you said she was of age. Yeah, like they're like, like well, we're well, gonna we're gonna put a black woman and a white man on screen together, and they're gonna kiss. But before we go full black, we're gonna go halvesies first. So they went with beige. Uh. It doesn't have, I mean, it's it's got more uh, humor to it than the next movie oh, we'll yeah. discuss. Oh, yeah, definitely. For sure. um, anything else you want to say about it before we uh, uh, end this one? Nope. Uh, just, the, uh, just the simple fact that these are two older films that I actually did like, and you're rarely going to get that out of me from this. And don't come at me about it because I'm allowed to like and dislike what I do. Uh, and the Reverend is introducing me to a lot of films, which actually, you know, funny, ironically goes into the whole, I don't add a lot to this podcast. This is, that's not my job. That's the Reverend's job. I'm here <laughs> for entertainment at best, if I even provide that. And just to kind of shoot the shit back and forth, because if the world's ending, we're going to make a podcast talking about what's happening and we're all going to have different opinions about it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, I, 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 I did like these movies. So I, I, I'm happy that you did. I didn't expect, I mm -hmm. mean, I didn't expect you to, to exactly jump for joy. Cause I know, I mean, older movies are kind of hard to get into mm -hmm. for some people. They just are. I mean, they, they had a different way of acting. Like, I mean, especially the farther back you get, I mean, oh, when yeah. we discuss like white zombie, they were like very close to stage acting where they were very like dramatic with their hand movements and all that. Cause they didn't realize that, well, you've got audio now. You can actually yeah. use your voice to carry a lot. You know, they were just getting the, the first start of that. And, uh, you know, these in these movies, totally different. I mean, like the 50s and uh, 60s and 70s, totally different, like, you know, just culture behind, you know, what was going on in the movies, too. So totally. Um, I don't feel like we get anywhere close to like modern style movies until the 80s, mm -mm. really. It was a pleasant Late surprise. Late 70s, maybe. Yeah, but. seeing these movies and liking them was a pleasant surprise. Like, I, Omega Man lost me a tiny bit. I know my husband loves that film, but um, it lost me a little bit. But even then, I wouldn't say that I didn't enjoy it. I still wanted to know what was going to happen. So I, I color me surprised is all I'm going to say. We'll see how you fare on the next one. <laughs> uh, 
with I Am Legend. Uh, but anyways, folks, with that, peace be with you. And with your spirit. Crawl out through the fallout, baby, when they drop that bomb. Crawl out through the fallout with the greatest of aplomb. When your white count's getting higher, hurry, don't delay. I'll hold you close and kiss those radiation burns away. Crawl out through the fallout, baby, to my loving arms. Through the rain of strontium-90. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero. And crawl out through the fallout back to me. Crawl out through the fallout, baby. You know what I mean. Through the fallout, cause they said this bomb was clean. If you cannot find the way, just listen for my song. I'll love you all your life, although that may not be too long. Crawl out through the fallout, baby, to my loving arms, while those ICBMs keep us free. When you hear me call out, baby, kick the wall out and crawl out through the fallout back to me. Cause you'll be the only girl in the world. Ooh.